0: Hello. Today is pleasure. let's start that again. We'll cut that out. <laughs> I'm going to introduce you and then welcome you. To oh, work.
1: brilliant! Sorry about that.
0: Hello. Today is my pleasure to introduce you to Alicia Lavino. Alicia, according to her bio, is a history geek, a spiritual seeker, a writer, and an adventurer. She was born in Ch- uh, California. I almost say Chicago for some reason. California to a long line of adventurers, and her family encouraged her passion for history, culture, language, and spirituality. And then she moved to France, where she met Henry Lincoln, who we'll talk about more today. Uh, he's a best-selling author himself of Holy Blood and Holy Grill, uh, uh, Grail, Grail, perhaps, um, and then Lincoln actually recognized her for a natural scientific approach to questions of history. Uh, and most importantly all for today's uh, interview is she is the author of the forthcoming book, The Heretic. And she has also recently completed a very successful Kickstarter program, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So first of all, though, welcome to the show, Alicia.
1: Thank you. Great to be
0: here. So great. I've been really looking forward to this interview, um, despite all the things that are going on. Um, As I said, we normally start these interviews with the same two questions about visionary fiction. But given the state of what life is going on out there in the world for the last several uh, weeks, um, let's just kind of address that first. So you were telling me before uh, we started the interview that... um, Uh, We wanted to, you know, talk about all this going on with the coronavirus and the pandemic and all that and how uh, perhaps this particular book, The Heretic, might actually provide some insights into all this. So could you elaborate on that for us?
1: Yeah. So this time in the world, everything seems to have gone crazy. And it is not anything that we recognize. And for those of us who study the spiritual tradition, um, the spiritual traditions, right? So whatever modality, whatever form that looks like, there is something a little bit familiar in this. Mm -hmm. And that is that we are all, whether we like it or not, engaged in the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. We are all being tested. Threshold guardians are being thrown in our path, We are being asked to choose again and again. And heretic means able to choose. And more than just a walk through the mysteries of history and following the codes of Ren the Chateau and other fun um, storylines, it is in many ways a manual for how to survive the Mm -hmm. hero's journey and how to Go on a quest in your own life through grief and hardship and all of those pains we don't want to face and how to come out whole and healed and stronger and wiser than we were before. And I think that this time is throwing that opportunity at us and we kind of have two choices, we're either going to dive into it and and grow into something greater, you know, or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. Those two choices, directions that we could go, how could the message, and I I, I want to be careful because I don't want you to give away the story (laughs) of the hotline or, you know, too much, you know, uh, spoiler alert, anything like that about the heretic. But how, how do you think that the heretic, somebody reading the heretic, heretic during this time could be particularly fruitful for them?
1: Great question. So, you know, we're here to talk about visionary fiction, kind of above all things. And, okay. and visionary fiction allows people to step into the story. And it allows people to try on lessons for their own lives. And so it's a little bit different from, you know, a thriller or a mystery where the characters are in the story. Um, the Heretic is written so that if you choose to, you can step into this story and try this on. And, and the way that this is accomplished in The Heretic is that the book is in first person and the main character is a highly sensitive, highly aware, um, and in some ways kind of bumbling <laughs> human being. And as these things come up, she has these reactions that are very normal reactions. A grief is thrown in her face, and she says, Oh, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and there are these things that we all do. Um, but because Lily Ann Harper is trained in many languages, because her grandmother trained her to a level of physical sensitivity that is unknown to most of us. um, What's happening is that she's naming these processes. And so as we go through, there is a vocabulary for experience that goes above and beyond what we have in normal life, even though we have these experiences. And so it quickly becomes very relatable um, and, to the extent that you want to step into that story and go on your own journey can be very helpful for beginning to understand some of the natural things that happen to people during times of grief, that, that happen to people during pain, and moreover, what happened during the process of awakening, which is a process that does include grief and does include pain, And we can often think we're going the wrong way because of that, Um, (laughs) but it's very, very normal. And, you know, we're not alone in this process. We're really all doing it together
0: right now. Wow. Very good. I don't know how many other people will be intrigued by this, but I certainly am intrigued (laughs) reading it. So, (laughs) Um, well, let's let's backtrack just a little bit now to the the initial uh, interview questions I like to start with for those who are maybe new to visionary fiction. uh, How would you, uh, as a visionary author, uh, or author of visionary fiction, how would you define visionary fiction? And maybe you've already touched on this somewhat, but maybe elaborate, why do you think it's so important in our world today?
1: Mm. Visionary fiction, is a genre that spans the ages, I think. And it's what happens when the author and the story are committed to the reader being able to participate. And so there might be magical elements, there might be Elements of psychology, I, I don't think that the subject matter is necessarily as important as the fact that visionary fiction, I like to say it's a choose your own adventure. I don't know if anyone remembers the the choose your own adventure stories from the 80s, you know, but you'd get to a certain chapter and then it'd say if you want to turn left down this path, go to page 41, and if you right. want to turn right down this path, go to page 86. Um, And and I feel like that's what visionary fiction is. You know, you you can read a visionary fiction story just like it's a good story. You can pick it up and go, oh, this is lovely, I'm very entertained. But you can also say, wait a minute, if I tried this on, you know, they've just told me this ancient wisdom or this new insight or this different way of looking at the world. And if I were to try that on wow, these incredible new things begin to open. And so it's, it's a very expansive and and life changing genre. It's more than just entertainment. Um, (laughs) And I think it's especially important right now because, you know, we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) And I think that's true for humans in any age. Um, but right now things are changing quickly between, you know, not just this, this new pandemic, but, you know, technology inventions are speeding up the way that we think are, is changing every day. Um, through the internet, we've got globalization, all these things are changing. And so the more that we can expand and open our ways of seeing things, the more likely we are as a species to evolve into the coming ages.
0: Yeah, very good. Yeah, I know my own personal way of looking at visionary fiction is that first and foremost, it needs to entertain. Uh, <laughs> because otherwise, you know, you don't get to the end of the, the book. Right. But in if it's really a well-written uh, visionary fiction, you come away with some insights, maybe some inspiration and some hope, something that you can actually apply to your life. I think one of the greatest reviews that I hear from time to time uh, on visionary fiction is um, the story stayed with me for months after I had gone on and started reading something else. Then you know that you're, you know, we as a visionary fiction authors accomplished our job. <laughs> yeah, very good. Now, if you, if you remember it, when did you first realize that there was actually a genre of literature called visionary fiction?
1: This was wonderful. I had been... Um... I was already working on the heretic actually, and I'd written it and I kept trying to explain what it was. Mm -hmm. I kept saying, well, you know, it's got elements of historical fiction because we're jumping back in history. But it's also got some magical realism, but it's in a way that is talking about ancient wisdom. I mean, it was this very clunky explanation. And um, I, you know, kept trying to explain. It it takes you into a spiritual journey. It's this spiritual journey of these histories that these characters in the south of France and this ancient, you know, it was was awkward. And luckily had the great pleasure of working with a wonderful editor and book midwife, Shoshana Alexander. Hmm. And she said, well, Alicia, it's very simple. This is visionary fiction. (laughs) (laughs) You really need to look into the visionary fiction alliance this is what you're doing, and and there's a word for what you're trying to explain. That there is wisdom, there is a spiritual transmission, if you will. But there's there's real applicable life information in here that's intended for people to access if they choose to.
0: Yeah, very good. Now, before we turn to something that I'm very intrigued about is that the and well, I think I say how I you know, first heard about you was the Kickstarter program. But before we turn to that, I'm also intrigued by your relationship um, with, I guess he's really not your co-author, but he wrote the foreword for your your book, um, uh, Henry Lincoln. So how, how did that come about? And just kind of share a little bit about that. Yeah,
1: so Henry Lincoln is my mentor and has become a great friend. Um, Years ago, no, I was uh, leading a tour in the south of France with my grandmother. Mm. And we were taking people around to different sites that were related to Mary Magdalene and some of the mysteries of the south of France. Mm. And we hired Henry Lincoln to take us around run le chateau And Rennes-le-Chateau is the little village in the south of France, that is home to a great mystery. You'll have seen it on the Curse of Oak Island. It's the town that the Da Vinci Code was based on. There are all kinds of mysteries that are coming out of this this little town. And the basic story is that a priest was said to have discovered a great treasure Um, that sort of coincides with all these other strange things happening in this region. And we hired Henry Lincoln, who was really the foremost English-speaking expert, um, to give our little group the guided tour. And as he was taking us around, my jaw was dropped. (laughs) I could not believe what he was telling me. I was going, but this should change the way we see everything. This should be taught in grade schools. What is happening? This is not some." story of treasure in the way that people think it is. This is not some long lost history. This is math and science. Why aren't we talking about this? Wow. And so at the end of that presentation, he kind of locked on me and said, you must come back. I need you. (laughs) I said, well, the tour ends Monday. I could be here Tuesday. And I just kind of showed back up. And that was really the beginning of a a partnership that has spanned the last decade. Um, He's just turned 90. And he was really looking for someone who could carry on the legacy of his work and who could bring these ideas into the mainstream. Mm. He had some success with a bestseller um, in the 80s that was still at the hypothetical stage. And by the time that he made his math and science discoveries in the 90s, Um, People were much more interested in templars and treasure and things like that. And so this huge, you know, revelation kind of got shoved under the rug. And what he wanted to do was bring it all together, bring together the treasure and the templars, the crusade against the cats, Ah, together with this idea of math and science and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, what is it we're really talking about here and what would have been heresy? Thousand
0: years ago, wow, gave me goosebumps, really. I mean, (laughs) uh, that type (laughs) of (laughs) serendipitous union that you would hardly, you know, and obviously, it has already completely altered the direction for your life. It sounds like, you know, very good. Now, I'm a Kickstarter fan, you know, I've actually done two Kickstarters, as you know. You were so kind, actually, back, you know, my most recent one with The uh, the Fringe Candidate.
1: I'm excited about that book. <laughs> so,
0: well, obviously, I am, too. You can see all the copies that have behind me here. Um, but you had a very successful Kickstarter program. And mm-hmm. since we're, you know, this interview is not only for visionary fiction readers, but also authors. I'd like for you to just talk to me a, a, a minute or two about How did that come about? What had you decide to do it? Um, As I was on the site this morning, you ended up having 174 backers that pledged um, uh, over $39,000 to bring this project to life. So how did you do that? And how did that come (laughs) What made you decide to do the Kickstarter, you know, for the book?
1: I we chose to go with crowdfunding in general because it's a great way to raise awareness about something. Um, The book, the heretic is coming out in June and as a first time author, it's difficult to show people, you know, Hey, I really am a good writer or, you know, this is worth your time. Um, And so what we wanted to do was create a pre-launch that was able to provide some social proof that was able to get people interactively involved and create a community who would ultimately end up having the book in their hands as early as possible so that by the time we get to launch they are actually out there on the street talking to people
0: very smart very (laughs) Very strategic. So. <laughs> this,
1: honestly, in terms of the marketing, um, I have done a lot of studies. So The Heretic took me about five years to write from, from front to back, from the beginning of the research all the way through several steps of editing, learning to write a novel and being really committed to doing justice to this topic. It just took a long time. And in the background of all of that, I was really researching how to market a book. I was slowly building an audience. So one of the big success factors to the Kickstarter was they say you should do a two-month pre-launch period for any Kickstarter. Realistically, with this book, we had quite a few people who had been waiting five years. Mm. And so this was not something I was never secretive about the fact that I was writing a book. I came out the gate saying, this ancient secret dropped into my lap and I don't know how to tell people about it. So I'm writing the book. (laughs) (laughs)
0: with probably just that much passion too right right?
1: that was pretty huge you know it makes a big difference to let people know what you're doing and and that you care about it Um,
0: yeah
1: how it's going to make a difference for the world why they should care about it you know I had several other things that I'd written I'd never really sought publication because I thought who needs another travel story about this that and no offense to anyone who's doing that you know write what you love do what you feel called to do um but this is a story that I'm I'm not publishing for me um honestly the travail here has just been incredible it's it's not something that I'm just doing for fun it's a story that I think needs to be told and it's a story that I think the world is ready for um in terms of the information that's been hidden through the ages and also in terms of the path of of wisdom and awakening that the world is really hungry for right now or at least a lot of people are
0: yeah yeah very good well we're we're going to put the 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 link to your kickstarter even though it 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 has passed it's you know now you know closed successfully there's some very interesting information there and i think you'll have much more than 174 people out there on the street talking about this June. That's part of my intention, anyway. Um, But on your Kickstarter video, you got a very intriguing video that asks some thought-evoking questions. One was, um, "What would you do if an ancient secret fell into your lap?" And then you went on to kind of allude to that our ancestors. And I think you pointed to the Celtic uh, culture to. uh, Egyptians, and there may have been some others uh, in there as well, but Our ancestors, um, you allude to that they left us a clue to a secret that they ended up dying for. Um, <laughs> pretty good hook there. So can you elaborate on that without giving away too much of the book? And if you can't, I understand, I don't want you know want people to be left intrigued, but can you just kind of, you know?
1: Yeah, that's great. So, you know, it's funny because you keep saying spoilers, which is a great thing to keep an eye on. With this book, it's not that I'm trying to keep this ancient secret a secret. If I could shout it from the rooftops, I would. I think everyone needs to know it. The reason that I can't say this is what it is, and I tried that when I first found out about it, is because it would be difficult for the average person to understand why it's important. So when I first found out about it, I, you know, ran up to my best friend and I said, "Oh my goodness, did you know about this?" And he said, "Yeah, so." I went, "No, no, 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 no! You don't understand. This should be changing the way we build cities. This should be changing the way that we think about." I was flabbergasted, um, and so, you know that made me think of the way that we needed to frame this, to show how important it was for our ancestors and also show some application for our lives today. We get up, we have breakfast, we go to work, we've got our commute, we've got our children. You know, we might not see how an ancient secret that the Celts might have died for would have anything to do with us. Um, and and I think it does. So, you know, it's there is an element of secrecy. But when we're talking about how can we know that they knew this and how can we know they left us clues? We can see it. And it's actually, you know, the the clue that I can give you here is is it's in the archaeological remnants that are left that we can prove that they must have known this. And so the cultures I'm using are based on the archaeological records. You know, something could not exist without some knowledge of this. Now, how much they knew about it, how they figured it out—all of those are still these huge questions. But we have a tendency to think about people from the past as if they're in some ways less smart than we are. And what this is showing us is they knew an awful lot more than we do
0: in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's um, I, I think that's something that we've been discovering and need to continue <laughs> to rediscover. You know, uh, from time to time itself. So. Well, uh, in the time that we have remaining, let's just uh, turn our attention a little bit to the process of writing. Because, again, I know a lot of people who watch our interview series um, are either already visionary fiction authors or or aspire to be. Um, So what could you share with our uh, listeners about the common traps for aspiring writers, particularly if there's any one or ones that you may have fallen into and that you can help kind of guide them around.
1: (laughs) I was really lucky to have a a best-selling author in my corner. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, I had Henry Lincoln there um, who kind of told me to write this book. He basically charged me with telling the world. Um, And from the time i you know, sat at my computer and in a frenzy wrote the first 50 pages, I sent it to him and, and he said, you're doing it. Keep going. Mm. Um. So that was really, really helpful. And I think that for the rest of my life, the the things that he kind of walked me through will always be part of my process. So, you know, when you sit down to that first draft, don't, don't reread it. Don't think about it. Just keep going, keep going. Let yourself be sucked into whatever frenzy, whatever that looks like. Um, at least for me, that was, that's how it happens. You know, that's where the magic is. And if I stop and try and do any editing, I'm going to doubt myself. I'm going to wonder whether I'm, I can do any of this. Is this any good? Is anyone ever going to read this like this? Oh my goodness. Yeah. But there's a, there's a spark of inspiration, I think, that calls us to write, and, and we have to give it the space to just play. It doesn't matter whether that first draft is any good. That is not the point. Yeah. Uh, then when it came into the editing phase, um, he was also really great because he would say, the difference between a professional and an amateur is a professional's willing to tear it up and throw it all away. <laughs> so i had that in my ear from the very first oh i've written a rough draft of a book my first novel and he's saying professionals don't get attached scratch that sentence out if it doesn't serve your work
0: wow (laughs) so for all aspiring writers coaching tip number one go get a best-selling author to be your mentor (laughs) And then step number two, <laughs> right. listen. Well, and
1: it. I think the lessons really apply, you know, it is fabulous to have somebody there encouraging you. I mean, that makes all the difference because it it does sort of keep you going. Um, at this point, it's not something that I'm, I'm into the sequel. It's not something that he does for me anymore, but I've been able to put those people in place. So, you know, so as we go along, I've got my best friend over there and I've trained her to say, just keep going. Yeah. You know, I say, oh, I was worried about my rough draft today. And she says, well, don't read it. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's possible even, even without that to, to put those practices into your life. It is nice to have that voice coming from the outside. And for me, it was nice to have that guidance because I didn't know what I was doing. And here I was working with this material that he wanted me to get out to the world. And I'm going, you don't understand. I've never written a book before. That's okay. Okay. I am really lucky in that, or, you know, I'm going to go with lucky. Um, I love the written word. So writing was already there for me. Writing was already a close friend. Um, for anyone wanting to work on a big project just write it doesn't matter what it is wake up in the morning and do your morning pages sit down with a journal at a little cafe I mean I wrote without trying to do anything with it for nearly two decades you know just Mm -hmm. writing 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 some of it good some of it terrible it doesn't matter just write
0: (laughs) yeah very good yeah so that kind of leads me to the uh, next question is Do you think of your writing as a career or as a calling? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right answer. (laughs) Um,
1: So I would be a writer in any life with any job. That's not a question. Being an author is very much a job. Mm. Being an author, means I learn how to interview. Being an author means I learn how to SEO a website so that when I write articles, they show up on search engines. Being an author means I create a brand around my book that my book cover matches, the clothes I wear to an interview matches, my Mm -hmm. website matches, and all of the media that I post on social media matches. So everything that I'm doing is inside of a business. Now, the one exception to that is my writing. My writing doesn't exist in the business until I put it in the business. Mm, good. So my writing happens, you know, not just in my spare time, it's during business hours, if you will. It's the most important thing I do, but it's mine. It is not for sale, it is not for business, Until you know, until we get into it being more of a final product, and that's been an important distinction for me because it's not okay for me that the business sucks the joy (laughs) from the art. Um, and I find that when I am trying to do art for profit, it's miserable, and so I do art, you know, to do art, I, I write to write. If then I have produced something that has value for my business, I'm thrilled. And if I haven't, I'm still quite happy that I spent time writing.
0: Very good. That, that's an excellent distinction and so <laughs> valuable for all of us, including moi right over here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a hard, hard one. It's really hard. As soon as I start to realize I'm writing something and I go, oh, I can think of all the ways I could use this in my business. And all of a sudden the muse just starts to skitter away. <laughs> I, just that. I go no, no no I'm just kidding I'm not gonna use it for anything Shh.
0: not that. yet not yet <laughs> come back here come back here yeah well as we uh, finish up the interview what's what's next for you in your writing being it your writing career or you writing art
1: Yay. Um, so in the greater scope of things the heretic is the first in a trilogy so, I got about halfway through and realized that I really couldn't put everything in this book. Yeah. Um, so, the trilogy is very exciting. It is a tremendously um, optimistic project. The next, This first one is set in the south of France. The next one will take us to Ireland. So we've got the heretic, the martyr, and the mystic. So, the mm-hmm. martyr will be in Ireland. Um, and the mystic will, I think there's only so much you can plan with writing, but I think that's yeah. going to um, take us down to Egypt and the Middle East. So, um, so that's kind of my big ambitious over the next few years, what I'll be doing. Um, and in the short term, one of the things that I'm really being called to do, which I actually find more challenging than the idea of writing a book, Um, is there's a lot going on in the world right now.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I am working on kind of bringing forward some of the things that I have been talking about with my teachers, some of the things that my friends and coaches and students, the, the discussions that we've been having behind the scenes about what is happening in the world and how to deal with it. That really bring us back to that hero's journey. Um, there are many of us, many of us now, who have been training for um, for, for difficult times for humanity, and so finding a way to actually offer um, offer that through my writing um, feels very scary so i know that's what's next
0: <laughs> so is, yeah, if it's not obviously scary.
1: that's the way to go it feels more terrifying than anything else that's yeah kind of how yeah I, how i know oh that's the one the one that kind of zings you in the gut and says, <laughs> <it's like, ooh. laughs>
0: gets you up in the morning for sure we're very good well the the book is called the heretic It's coming out in first part of June. Is that correct? First, yeah. And yet, you can pre-order it. I believe I saw on Amazon the other day. You can go ahead and pre-order it.
1: That's right.
0: uh, On Amazon, and is it going to be available other places uh, other than? Yeah, it's
1: actually already on Barnes and Noble right now. It's on almost all the online platforms.
0: Very good. Um,
1: So even there are some boutique bookstores online that are carrying it. Come June, we will have it in brick and mortar stores. We don't yet know what launch is going to look like. I was going to do a West Coast tour, Mm. and that's kind of up in the air. So I will be aiming to do a blog tour, and over the next, say, year and a half, I will be planning to do a big author's tour of the United States, and and going to metaphysical bookstores and to, to little bookstores. But in the meantime, we are online. The ebook, I think, we're going to try to release even before the hardback is out uh, huh? to try and kind of give people something a little extra during this wild time.
0: Good, very great. And is there an um, uh, audiobook in, in the future, perhaps?
1: There is. I was actually planning to be recording the audiobook now so as you can imagine that's not going to happen I don't know what that delay is going to mean because my recording studio is not in the town that I live in so um that's a little bit tricky I I planned I'm on a um a five month trip uh to the location where my publisher is where where everything is and was planning on doing that Um, now that we're not going to do it right now, but it is, it is in the works. It is on the books for some time. My, my great dream, this is still not completely confirmed, but I'd really like to do the book myself. Um, it's not a question in terms of the regular characters, but there are quite a few accents. So... I still have a bit of training to do, but I'm, I'm almost there. I've got, <laughs> I've got half of the accents down say it's a very international book. So.
0: <laughs> wow. Very great. Well, you know, Alicia, this has been such a pleasure to have an opportunity. I'm going to go back and watch my own interview here because there's some real nuggets of gold that I intend to take away with this. So again, it's the heretic coming up, coming out in June, if not, maybe even a little bit before. And uh, you can pick it up at any of the online bookstores in the meantime. So again, thank you so much for for being with us today with the Visionary Fiction Alliance Authors Interview.
1: (laughs) Thank you. It's been great.